Welcome to Park Church. We're glad that you are here. My name is Matt. I am one of the pastors here on staff. We are in the middle of this series up here called You Do Who You Are. We are talking about um, God, about the way God has made us, about who God is, and, and what about who God is makes us who we are. The whole idea behind this series is if we can find out and believe that we are actually what God has made us, then all that's left for us to do is just to do who we are. And then uh, life will be better, life will be different, and we'll live the life that God means for us to live. And so what we're doing throughout this spring is we've chosen four of like the core identities um, that really make us who we are. And those are children, missionaries, servants, and family. We're going to spend two weeks on each one of those. Uh, last week we started with this, God made you his children, so live like it. And we talked about what that means, how God made us his children, um, not because of anything we did, but just because that's who God is. And so what we are called to do um, is to have a relationship with God, our Father, where our lives are shaped by him and by that relationship. And so we, we should be listening less to the little g gods in our lives and more to like the big G God. And so um, really based off of that relationship, that's, who, that's how we're meant to live and move forward. Um, as God's children. This week we're talking about how uh, we're God's children again. Speaking of children, um, I thought about this as like kind of a way to open. When you were a child, do you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? Anyone remember what they wanted to be when they grew up? I, uh, I have no recollection. I have absolutely no recollection of what I wanted to be when I grow up. Um, does anyone here, though, like, would anyone be willing to call out what they wanted to be when they grow up? A real estate agent. What would you say? A rock star. A rock star. A scuba diver? Garbage. Garbage. Who said scuba diver? Yes, that's the best answer I've ever heard. A scuba diver. A cowboy. A cowboy. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> I love it. Scuba diver. You can achieve that still. Um, <laughs> I have no recollection. Some people, like you, remember really well. Um, did you become a scuba diver? No. no. Okay. My wife, Amanda, she's totally opposite from me in almost every way, shape, or form. Sometimes it's like I'm from Mars and she's from Venus. Uh-huh. Uh, she, when she was younger, she wanted to be a teacher. It was clear for her from day one, want to be a teacher. She would have her best friend come over and play. Um, and for hours, they would play together, but they would play completely separately. Because one would go in this room, one would go in that room, and they would each be teaching their own classes. And so hours, they would play together, but not actually talk to one another. They would take a break throughout the day. They would go to the teacher's room, which was the kitchen table, uh, and that was their time to actually talk together. But from day one, they knew they wanted to be teachers. Um, and they grew up, and both of them are teachers. And it's kind of amazing. I don't have that memory when I was a kid. Um, my kids now, though, I get to talk to them about what they want to be when they grow up. We have three boys. Uh, Jonah is our youngest. He's one. The only thing he wants is to crawl back into his mother's womb. So <laughs> we don't actually know what that's going to result in. We hope he grows out of that, grows into something else. Um, our middle one is Eli. He's about five. And Eli, uh, if you know Eli's personality, he's, you know, he's Eli. Um, when we ask him what he wants to be, he wants to be a steamroller. We assume what he means is he wants to operate a steamroller and not become a piece of machinery. Um, but he wants to be a steamroller, which really fits his personality because he likes to flatten things that are in his way. 
He likes destruction. He likes, you know, to destroy. That's sort of his deal. Um, Zeke, Zeke is our oldest, and he's almost nine now. What Zeke wants to be is a baseball player. He wants to be a baseball player. If that doesn't work out, he wants to be a pastor, which is kind of cute, right? But, but he, he doesn't really want that. He wants, to be a, he wants to be a baseball player. Not just any baseball player, though. He wants to play for the Yankees, and not just anywhere for the Yankees. He wants to play second base or third base. I don't know how to tell him this, but I don't think baseball players coming from this gene pool. I mean, you might, you might not know it to look at me, but like, I'm not the best athlete, the best baseball player. And my wife, as wonderful as she is, also not like athlete, athlete. So um, I know there are anomalies, right? But I don't see Derek Jeter, um, or let's be real, I don't see Didi coming from that coming from that gene pool. But this is what he wants. This is what he wants. And he says it again and again. He actually said the other day, um, he reads these like biography books of like players, and he was like, Derek Jeter had a dream. And it was to be a baseball player. And he lived to that dream. And that's what I'm going to do too. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> you keep working at it. The other day, we were um, practicing pitching in our front yard. Um, and he was pitching. And he was you know, kind of not doing great. And he was getting really hard on himself. I don't know where he gets that from. Um, he was kind of pitching out of the strike zone, and he like he got frustrated. And he was like, "Oh gosh, I'm I'm never gonna make the Yankees." He said, "At this rate, I'm gonna have to play for the Mets or the Red Sox." <laughs> it's like that would be awful. At some point, at some point in our lives, I think what we want to be, not that it's not important, not that it's not important what we do, what we want to grow up to be, how we want to rise in our company or have different professions, do different things with our time, not that that's not important, but as we get older, as we grow, what we want to be becomes less important than what we want to be like. Do you know what I mean by that? What we want to do, what we want to be with our lives becomes less important than what we want to be like, than what we want to become like. Like a job and whatnot, what we do, it matters, but not as much as the other thing, not as much as what we want to become like. Because we think about, you think about your grandparents, and you think, oh, grandma, that's what I want to be like. She was so good. She was so kind. She was so generous. That's what I want to be like. Or grandpa, he was always so fun. He was always so warm. That's what I want to be like. Or you look at your mom and say, gosh, she's a miracle worker. I don't know how she did what she did, but, but that's what I want to be like. I know, of course, for some of us, we look at our grandparents, we look at our parents and say, ooh, I don't want to be like that. Because as much as I love grandma, she was terrible with money. I don't want to be anything like that. Or grandpa, like... He was kind of one of those like grandpas that was like crusty and crabby. I don't want to be like that. Or mom, I mean, love mom, but mom was really stressed about everything and I get stressed just thinking about how stressed she is. I don't want to be like that. Or we look at other people. We look at our boss and say, I don't want to be that. We look at our friends, I don't want to be that. We look at our friends' marriages and say, I don't want to be like that. Or of course, we look at our friends or people who, uh, we work with, or people who we look up to, and say, gosh, if I could be anything, I would want to be like that, because that person is just so wise. How do I become like that? 
or that person is so good. They're so um, like loving and kind. How do I be like that? Or they're so generous. How, how do I become like that? Because I'm not generous. Or they're so relaxed. They're so confident. Um, nothing seems to phase them. I get worried and stressed about everything. How do I become like that? What we want to become like is more important than what we want to be. But the problem is we spend all of our time thinking and worrying and paying for what we're going to be. Because we pay to go to college to become an engineer or uh, a teacher or whatever the case may be. Um, we pay to go get extra schooling. We pay to get certifications to be something else. Or when we want to be a husband, when we want to be a wife, we do the work to date and to get married. When we want to be parents, we do that work to be able to become parents. But how much time, energy, effort do we spend on what we want to be like? There's a really good chance you've never actually thought about that question. What do I want to be like? Because we sort of just go. We sort of just do. And whatever we become like, it's almost like it's an accident, right? Like it's sort of this cocktail of the forces that shape us and um, those little G gods who we listen to, and those defining moments that make us who we are, or those glimpses of success that we have that propel us forward. And these things all get kind of mixed together, and what we become like is just kind of an accident, right? It's either an accident, or it's a mystery, or for some of us, what we're becoming like is something we see down the road, and we see, oh gosh, I want nothing to do with that. We could project ourselves into a future that we don't want. And so I'll take the time to ask you two questions. One question is, what do you want to be like? What do you want to be like? The second question is, what are you becoming like? When you think about your life, take a moment. What do you want to be like? If you could choose what to be like, what do you want to be like? But then if you look forward, project yourself down the road, if nothing changes, if this is the path that you're, work, that you're walking on, if you become like what you think you're going to become like based on what you're doing now, um, what will you be like? What will you become like? And a third question, does what you want to be like overlap with what you are becoming like? And if they do, why? What are you doing right that's, that's, that that's happening? But if they don't, why not? There's a good chance that for some of us, for maybe for a lot of us, this is like an existential crisis. You never thought about that question before and you don't even know how to answer it. For some of you, it could be something like, I don't, I never thought of it before and quite frankly, the images that I have, the models for what I could become like are not things I want to be like. Um, and, that's, and, that's, and that's something. Uh, for some of us, we see the path in front of us. We see that future. We can project ourselves into it. And we see we don't want to become like that, but the things that are kind of guiding us and shaping us towards that, we don't know how to get around. We don't know how to get rid of. And we wish we could, but we can't. And those things are going to make us something that we don't want to be like. Wherever you are in that constellation of questions and issues uh, and answers and problems, what I want to share with you this morning it's just some really good news. And it's good news because it's good news, but it's good news because it's simple and it's clear and it's something that everyone can hold on to. 
right? If God made us as children, if God made us who we are, then God has something in mind for what he wants us to be like. And so what we're going to do this morning is hear very simply what God wants us to be like, and that will give us um, the direction that we need to move forward, all right? So what we're going to do is we're going to turn to a little tiny letter that's tucked away in the very back of the Bible. It's um, a letter called 1 John, written by a man named John. John was one of Jesus' 12, like, first followers, what's called his apostles. Uh, Peter, you've heard me talk about Peter a lot. He was kind of the head follower. He was the main guy. John was the guy who was known as, like, the closest to Jesus. If you wanted to know Jesus' heart, you get into what John has to say. John wrote three letters that we have, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He also wrote the Gospel of John. And so when you read his writings, they sound a little different. Um, they kind of go a little different places. Um, he's got a very distinct style, but it's meant to really hit us at the heart level. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at what he wrote in his first letter uh, to a group of people who are just like us, who are trying to figure out who God is, what God wants for us, where God wants us to go, um, to what God has made us so that we know how to live. And here is how he begins. He starts in this letter, in chapter 3 of his first letter, he writes, See what love. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that, that is what we are. Now, the observant Park Church attendee and the very punctual Park Church attendee, (laughs) of which almost none of you are, (laughs) the very first song we sang, the very first line is how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. And that line from I cannot give an answer, that line is taken right out of this passage right here. That um, phrase, see what love the Father has, this is translated in English translations. It's kind of all over the place. Um, Some of them are like, see what great love the Father has lavished upon us. One of them is behold. It's like a call to behold what matter of love. One of the weirder ones is see what an incredible quality of love the Father has shown to us. My own translation is something like, holy bleep, look at the love the Father has given us. And that's actually like a reasonable translation for what uh, John is getting at here. It comes from a Greek word that means like, where is this from? What kind of love is this? This is, in, this is crazy. This is an insane, um, alien, unbelievable kind of love. Like a literal translation could be, Of what country is this love? Where did it come from? Because it's so unbelievable, it's so foreign, it's so unordinary, it's so ununderstandable. This is the unbelievable love that God has for each and every one of us. It's the love that makes us his children. It's nothing that we've done. It's nothing that we could do. It's nothing that we've earned or nothing that we can unearn. This is just what God's love is like. And before we go any further with what I have to say, I want you to know this is the kind of love that you were meant to know and to experience firsthand. This is the kind of love that you were made for, that that God made you his child to know and experience, and that he gives you as his father. Many of you, many of you have known this. You've known this firsthand and it's changed things for you, but many of you have not. 
For many of you, I know, you don't even believe in God. So to talk about God as uh, a father that actually means something, it's just kind of nonsense. For some of you, I know that your experience of God's love is really nothing like this. Because too often God's love is mediated through the church, and you might, maybe you've had a bad experience with the church, and it has made you cast all kinds of doubt on who God is. Maybe your experience of God's love has been mediated through a family or through relationships that have caused you to seriously think God can't possibly be loving like this. Um, and I know for some of you, you see uh, what love the Father has given you, and you think of your earthly dad, your earthly father. And that guy was such a bad dude that for you to confuse God as father with your father, um, at worst, I mean, at best it's confusing, and at worst it's something that makes you want to run away from God. In any case, for now at least, put those, put those aside. Put those aside and hear these two things. One is that God is a father like no other father you have ever had. Even if you have the best dad in the entire world, God as father is nothing like that. Um, our ideas of parenting, being moms and dads, is just um, a pale comparison to the way God is our father. And that's one thing that we need to know. The other thing is whether or not you've experienced it, whether or not you could even believe that you should experience it or that you're worth it, hear it again. This is what you're made for, to know God to know God's love, to be welcomed and accepted and embraced by this ununderstandable love, to be so confident in trusting yourself into his hands as his child, and he is your father like no other father you've had, that the love of God says to you, what the heck is this? Where did this love even come from? For some of you this morning um, who have never known or experienced this love, this this might be your takeaway. This might be your take home. You might be able to shut off as soon as I'm done saying what I'm going to say right now. This might be it. For you, ask God to show you his love. Ask God to show you his love for you, to make it real in your life, to make it so that you feel it, so that you know it, so that you experience it, and so that you're actually changed by it. For you, this might be step one. And to be honest, for all of us, this is step one regardless of what kind of faith we have. It's to believe and know and really to marvel in the love that God the Father has for you as his child, because that is what we are. That is what we are, as John says. So John continues. He says, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Now, this is an example of John's sort of like different way of thinking. He doesn't think linearly like we do. It's kind of a different way of writing. At first, I was like, this is a total non sequitur. I'm just going to skip this completely. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come back to this at the very end, because I think it's actually is a great little sentence, even though it's kind of confusing. Um, but listen to how John then continues, because this kind of makes more sense. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not, has not yet been revealed. Again, he emphasizes we're God's children now. What we will be is not yet revealed. What he means is, um, he doesn't mean that we're not going to not be God's children in the future. He doesn't mean that. Um, but just like us, when we grow up to become baseball players and pastors and steamrollers, um, we're, still, we're still children of our parents, but we become something like different. And John says what we will be, we don't know yet. And to be honest, it doesn't actually matter, John will say. Um, it's not what really matters. Uh, 
what we will be, John is saying, is less important than what we will be like. And that's where he goes with this. He says, um, what we do know is this. When he is revealed, that means when, when God is revealed. And the best way I could put this is, like, at the end of all things, when, like, the veil that makes us so that we can't see God, when that's lifted and we could actually see God, when God gives us the ability, um, opens our eyes to see God in a way, when he is revealed... John writes, we will be like him. We will be like God, for we will see him as he is. And this is a strange thing for John to say. We will be like God. Here's the great movement that God is working in us. God sees us. He adopts us as his children. He loves us with this ununderstandable love. He shows himself to us. He puts a spirit inside of us. We talked about that last week to transform us so that in time and over time, we become like God. We become like him. So from now, when we're children until then, when we don't know what we'll be, our part in this seems very simple. It seems very clear. Become more like your father in heaven. Become more like Dad, capital D, Dad. And this makes perfect sense because this is what every child wants who has a really good parent. They want to be just like their mom, just like their dad. It's why step one is to get to know the love of God better, to get to know God better, to have that relationship with Him. Because when you know and understand and believe the love that God has for you, you can't help but love Him back, and you can't help but want to become just like that. And so how are we to become like God? What does he mean when he says we will be like God? Um, One of the problems with this whole way of thinking is that we are not God. And when we try to be God, things usually go wrong. Uh, In the Garden of Eden, if you remember that story, their problem was that they tried to be like God in the wrong way. And it kind of went downhill from there. Um, So what's the answer then to how we are to become like him? Well, what's the answer? What's always the answer in 1 John? Not Jesus. What's always the answer in 1 John? Love. The answer is always love. Jamie said it. The answer in 1 John is always love. Um, Look, at Park Church, there's always two right answers. (laughs) Jesus and love. So you can always call one of those out, and there are probably two different ways of saying the same thing. Um, John is telling us here, Remember, behold what unreal, ununderstandable love God has for us and love like him. Love like your father loves. Or as I'll put it up there so that you can remember, it's kind of silly. Love like dad loves. That's how we are to be like him. That's what we're made for and that's where we're headed. And it's not only John that tells us this. This is across uh, the rest of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, he's another guy who says the same exact thing, just in a different way. It's kind of interesting. John, uh, most historians think, when John got older, he probably settled into a city called Ephesus. It's probably where he lived out of and where he worked out of. It's probably where he wrote the Gospel of John from. It's probably where he wrote these three letters from also um, in Ephesus. Uh, Paul very famously wrote a letter to Ephesus. Years before this, he would have written a letter to Ephesus. And so there's, um, I mean, it's definitely true that Paul knew John, but there's a really good chance that John and Paul kind of went back and forth on what this actually looked like. And listen to the way that Paul says the same thing, just in a different way. He says, therefore, be imitators of God. Be like your father. 
as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. As beloved children, how unbelievable this love is. As beloved children, be like your father. Imitate him by living in love, Paul says, as he defines it. And so what John like indirectly says from Ephesus, Paul directly says to the Ephesians, love like dad loves. Paul does two things for us here, though. Uh, the first thing he does is he defines what Christ's love, or he defines what love is, and what love is is Christ giving himself. To love is to give of yourself for the sake of another. It's to put your agenda, to put your wants, to put yourselves to the side for a moment, uh, to give yourself for the sake of another. It's being kind when kindness is like not an option. It's being patient when all the chances have run out. It's putting yourself under someone who they're probably under you in all reality. We can drift into this sort of sentimental idea of love, like we'll love when we feel loving, or um, we love when it's deserved, we love when it's convenient, we love when it benefits us. But for Paul and for John too, um, love is not defined like that. The way John defines love is uh, in this is love, that Jesus laid down his life for us laying down your life, giving up yourself for the sake of the other. That's what love looks like. Paul defines it. John defines it for us. The second thing that Paul does for us in this passage is he tells us how it's going to take place. And the way I'll put it is it takes place in baby steps. Um, the word up there for live in love, that's the word that can be translated walk. Walk in love. And the image that Paul has for us is this sort of step-by-step progress of walking in the footsteps of Jesus laying down his life. It's kind of step after step, baby steps of walking behind Jesus, um, learning to walk. It's something that takes time. It's something that takes patience, something that takes intentionality and progress, sometimes slow progress. Kind of like learning how to walk after an injury or like if you're in rehab or something like that. To learn to live in love, to walk in love, it takes work. Now, John, John's a different kind of thinker, so the way that John puts this is totally different, and it's a little more confusing. Listen to the way John puts it. John talks about it in terms of purification. He says, uh, and all who have hope, all who have this hope in him, what he means is all who know God's love and who know they're being transformed into who God is like, um, all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as, just as he is pure. John talks about purification. When John talks about purity, what he means is um, getting rid of all the stuff inside that shouldn't be there. Getting rid of every spot, every blemish, everything that makes it so that you're impure, everything should be taken out of there. And what he really is getting to with this, he's he's getting to sin. He said, like, purification is get, get rid of sin. Get rid of the stuff that you know God does not want you to do. Get rid of the stuff that you know God does not want you um, to participate in, that God didn't design you for. Get rid of that sin. And the way that he defines sin, he does it in the very next sentence, actually. He defines it as lawlessness. Now, lawlessness is a word that's kind of, what does that even mean? What does that mean? Um, In John's world, the law, as he defines it, is to believe in Jesus and to love one another. So for John... Very simple, very pure, very easy. Um, To be impure 
is to not love. Impurity is unlove. So what John is saying here is to, um, to become like God, to learn to walk in love, to live in love, is simply to rid yourself of the unlove so that you can be free to love. That's how you're going to become like God. And so let me ask you this question then. What, what is the unlove that you need to rid yourself of? What is the unlove that's preventing you from loving in the way that your father loves? Here's one way that I'll give you to think about it. This is you, right? Looks like you, kind of. No, this is child you. This is you now, right? You're a child of God. Um, this is what you will be in the future. This is the, you're going to become like God. This is, this is you. The way to get from you now to you future um, is to walk in love, right? It's to walk that path in love, and you will be like him, as John says. The thing is, though, do we do that? Of course we don't. What do we do instead? We put up walls. Walls get put up that are in our way um, that make it so that we can't walk a straight line from who we are into who uh, God wants us to be. So that when we look down the path to who we're becoming, we see all kinds of things on our way, these walls that we can't get around, that we keep bumping into, that we can't climb over, and that we can't find a way to tear down. And what do these walls, what do these walls consist of? Well, you know what they consist of. They consist of things like this. Things like jealousy and insecurity and fear and distrust and anger and bitterness and hatred. Um, and what happens with hatred is you do things that you wish you didn't do, and then that turns into guilt, and that turns into self-hatred. You know what's on your walls. These are the kinds of unlove that we need to get rid of in order to become loving. But the problem is you can't just get rid of them, right? Because you can't just stop being angry. You can't just stop being bitter. You can't just stop being insecure. You can't say to your fear, oh, I'm not going to be afraid anymore. It doesn't work. I mean, maybe it'll work for like a day or a week or a month or something like that. But in the long run, it's not going to work. Because if you could, you would. What we miss is that at the base of these walls, at the foundation that keeps these walls strong and secure is something else. It's something that you can do something about. It's some, it's some damage that's happened that causes you to be insecure, or it's some pain that you suffered that causes you to be afraid or to distrust, or it's some uh, hurt that causes you to be angry, that causes you to hate. Because listen, what happens is that the unlove that we receive ends up being the foundation that we build our own unlove off of, right? The unlove that we receive just becomes the unlove that we give as we move forward. And so the way to rid ourselves, the way to purify ourselves from all of the unlove is not to just try harder to be, insec um, to be secure or not insecure, um, not to try harder to be uh, less fearful or to be angry less, but it's to chip away at what's at that foundation. It's to chip away at that thing that makes that wall uh, so secure. That's what it means. And for you, I don't know what it is, but for you, 
Maybe, maybe something has gone on in your life that makes you insecure. Maybe you've been told all your life, you're not good enough, you're not worth enough, you're not lovable, and you've believed those lies. And what that's left behind is a damaged you. It's left behind a damaged um, foundation that prevents you from loving other people because you can't love when you're that insecure because all you can do is protect yourself or all you can do is um, make yourself look good at others' expense. You could become arrogant. That's why people are arrogant because they're really insecure inside. And there's that damage in there. Listen, the way for you to tear down that wall of unlove um, is to chip away at that insecurity. And we do that by believing what God has to say. We do that by believing and trusting in the promises that God has made to us. That's how we learn to chip away at that. Maybe for you it's not um, some sort of insecurity, but maybe, maybe it's pain. Maybe someone has abandoned you. Maybe you lost someone. And that makes it so that it's hard for you to open yourself up to people. It's hard for you to trust other people. Um, it's hard for you not to be afraid of what you'll lose if you open yourself up. For you, the thing that you can do to chip away at that, to tear down that foundation, um, is to trust God, that God will never let you go. That God has made you his children and he's not going to ever abandon you or leave you. And it's to believe in that promise. It's to believe that and to live like it. Maybe for you, it's hurt. Someone did something to you and they were not supposed to do it to you. And you are angry, you are bitter, um, it's turned into hatred. Because of it, you've done things you wish you didn't do, and you feel guilty, and now you hate yourself because of it. Maybe for you to chip away at that foundation, um, it's going to look like something like forgiveness. It's going to look like forgiving the person who's hurt you so bad. Maybe for you, it's going to look like forgiving yourself. It will definitely mean believing differently. It will definitely mean believing that because God actually forgives that person, because God actually sent Jesus to die for that person too, then you can forgive that person as well. And, and that's, a, that's a step of faith. That's a step of belief. But in all of these, in all that stuff, it is baby steps. It's why I keep using the chip away image. Because you don't just tear apart the foundation of something. You need serious equipment for it. It takes time. You need jackhammers. You need a hammer and a chisel to do that. A steamroller. That's right. <laughs> So my challenge to you this week, my challenge to you um, is to go home and consider what's at the base of the wall. What's at, what's at that foundation that makes the unloved so strong and so tall and so hard to get around? And whatever it is, pick up the hammer and start to chip away at it. If it's forgiveness, take a step of forgiveness this week. If it's a phone call you need to make, at least find out the person's number. If you can, make the call. If it's a lie that you have to stop believing, take time this week to learn the truth that you need to know and to believe it and to hear it. Learn to listen um, to God this week. We talked about that last week a bunch. The key to all of this is learning to believe, actually believe what God has to say. Not just to believe in God, not just to believe that God, but to believe God. To believe that he is the loving father who he says he is. And to believe that he has actually made you his beloved child, his beloved son, his beloved daughter. 
believe that for as crummy and as real as all of this is, all that stuff, that pain, that damage that's been done, for all of the unlove that you've been through, believe that God has loved you and will love you that much more. Believe in God's love, that that is the foundation, not that you build new walls on, but that you walk on top of. Because when we do this, when you do this, when I do this, when we can do this together, we will start to be a community that to the world looks like God, that represents God, because we will look like love. And that's what that passage that I skipped over at the beginning, that's what it kind of said. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. What John is saying here is a little complicated, but I think what he means is this. He's saying that in those days, the world around them could not understand what these Jesus followers were doing because the way that they loved was just ununderstandable. It was unreal. It seemed unreal to them. And so if the world couldn't understand them, it's not going to understand God either. When people looked at the Christians back then, the way they treated one another, the way they cared for people outside of their community, the world around them looked and said, what the heck is that? What kind of love is that? The question for us is, does the world look at us and say, oh my gosh, what is that? I don't know. Not me a lot. What this passage is, this is a call for us to come to love radically. For us to come to love uh, in this ununderstandable way so that when the world that does not know God looks at us, they say to themselves, what the heck is that? Where did that come from? If that is what God is about, then I want to get on board with that God. So together, let's, let's be that community. Let's help one another become that community of Jesus followers, the kind that are not afraid to go down and chip away at those things that make it so that we can't love and start truly and deeply and generously loving others in the way that God loves us so that we can just be his children and live the lives that we're called to live is that you do who you are. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your uh, surprising and ununderstandable and miraculous love, how deep it is. We pray, God, first and foremost, that for each and every one of us, that you would, um, that you would show yourself to us, that you would show your love to us. Make it so that we don't just uh, think it's true in our head, but so that we know it in our hearts it's because we've lived it, experienced it, and we believe it deeply. Lord, make it so that we don't just believe in you, but that we believe you, that you are the Father uh, that you say you are. Lord, you know uh, better than we do what, what are the walls that are put up, that we put them up, the world puts them up, whoever puts them up. You know those walls. Help us to tear them down. Help us to chip away at the foundation of what makes them strong so that we could be freed from them, so that we can love in the way that you've made us to love, so that we become more like you. Lord, we thank you that you have set before us this, um, really this unbelievable future where we will be like you and that we love like you. We thank you that you set before us that future. For most of us, for me certainly, I can't imagine how I will get there. And so we pray, Lord, that you would send us your spirit into our hearts so that we can believe you 
and so that we can get there, so that you would transform us from the inside out. We ask now that you would uh, be with us as we sing your praises of the great love with which you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.